You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, here we go, the final Wheelhouse podcast episode of 2017. Aaron Goldsmith alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto, who once again joining us via Skype. Uh, Jerry, a little bit of time away from Safeco Field. That's got to be a nice thing. Yeah, this is our family time of year where we uh, hop away for the holidays and, and get a little sun. Right now we're having a tough time. The rain followed us from Seattle, but uh, hopefully the sun comes out here soon and we get back about our, our lounging and sunning ourselves business. <laughs> Well, uh, last time we talked, you were in Orlando, where it was a little sunnier, and uh, the news uh, came out after our last podcast, but has now been made official, uh, thanks to a physical, that uh, Juan Nicasio is now a member of the Mariners, a multi-year deal, a reliever that probably uh, most Mariners fans haven't had a chance to see much of, a a career uh, National League pitcher, not came to the American League, but uh, tell us about Juan Nicasio and what makes him such a good fit for this Mariners bullpen. Well, like you said, it's probably a guy that, that the, the average fan is probably not super familiar with. But over the last three years, Juan has been really sneaky. And, and how good he's been carries a high strikeout rate, generally keeps the ball in the ballpark, and, and frankly has been incredibly durable. Was the National League's leader in appearances last year, big and strong, pitched the bulk of his career for the Rockies and, and now, I guess, more recently the Pirates. And with the exception of a cameo in 2015 with the Dodgers, most of his career has been spent in, in smaller markets off the beaten path. But he's a, he's a multi-inning reliever, as you said. He, he has started a significant amount in his career. He's thrown multi-inning out of the bullpen. And more recently, he's developed into more of a leverage situation pitcher, including closing for the St. Louis Cardinals down the, the stretch last year in September. And I know his his slider has really uh, come around. That's something that, that you mentioned initially when this went through. Uh, how has that especially been able to handle what left-handers were previously doing against him? You know, Juan's always throttled right-handers fairly significantly, and, and lefties gave him a little bit of a tough time. He's improved in two regards versus the lefties. One is how he uses his slider, the, the quality to both sides of the plate. He's throwing his slider harder. Uh, his slider is roughly 90 miles an hour, which is to say just just below the average fastball. So it's a powerful slider. It's, a, it, it's more power than, than tilt and has a tendency to run in on the hands of the lefty. He's also become more proficient in throwing it to his arm side or the backdoor side of the plate. And add to that the fact that he's really kind of put the gas down on his fastball versus left-handers. And rather than using a, a wide variety in pitch mix, he's really, I guess, amplified the usage of his fastball, both both in the zone and above the zone, which I think is a, a positive for Juan. And, and Everything checks out. He's a good athlete with good makeup. Again, pretty durable guy, and we're excited to add him. You know, the combination of Juan Nicasio, Nick Vincent, and David Phelps in our pen gives us three guys who last year registered over 20 holds, which makes us one of the very few bullpens in baseball to have three leverage-type relievers like that in front of an already proven closer. Jerry, I'm going to guess that you uh, you do not follow Juan Nicasio on Instagram. Is that is that a fair guess? That is a fair guess. 
uh, Juan underscore and Nicasio for those who are curious. Uh, but you know, Jerry, uh, there Juan put out a a photograph uh, right around the time of this deal. Uh, him in a what looks to be a junior varsity weight room. Uh, very a very humble weight room, and he has to say that he has a sleeveless shirt on would really be an overstatement because uh, there's it's hardly a shirt at all, and he's about as lathered up in Crisco as a human can possibly be. Jerry, he's enormous. I had no idea that Juan de Casio was uh, as much of a beast as he appears to be. So um, he's he's I would say he's one of the the first guys off the bus right behind Nelson Cruz. Yeah, Juan goes about 6'4", 250, and it's not a small 250, if that were a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm now wildly intrigued by this, uh, this Crisco-lathered man that I, I feel like I need to, to tap into my Instagram and, and push my my sites. I follow Bulldogs. <laughs> so I'm going to have to clear the Bulldogs and start following Juan Nicasio. Yeah, man, he's uh, he's got a pair of shoulders on him for sure. Uh, uh, James Clifford will enjoy having him in the weight room. Uh, you know, when you talked about his ability to go multiple innings, uh, is that becoming more of a rare thing with the specialized relievers that we see in, in recent times? I mean, how valuable is that for a guy in your position? You know, years ago, it, it was a very common thing. And most or all relievers, really, until the early 90s, threw multiple innings or, or could extend beyond just three outs and in recent years that has become more of a specialty where pitchers were more likely to face their their same-sided opponent whether it be a left-hand pitcher versus left-hand hitter or the opposite and you know what has really happened over the last two or three years particularly because starting pitchers have started, uh, I guess, have delivered fewer innings than, than in years past. The multi-inning reliever has once again become fashionable, if not critical, to a staff. And we feel like that Juan Nicasio, that Nick Rumbelo, who we acquired earlier this offseason, David Phelps, who we brought on last July, these are all guys who give us that multi-inning element in the bullpen to join our our own, like a, a Dan Altavilla stands out as as one of our power pitchers who can throw multiple innings. And and if we want to shorten the game to meet the, the starting rotation in the middle, which has been our plan all along, then this is the way we plan on doing it. You know, since you brought up Dan, uh, I'll piggyback on that for a moment, for a moment because uh, to me, and I think a lot of Mariners fans would probably agree, uh, I mean, he seems to be such a incredible piece if obviously and he's not the only young pitcher in the majors who, who would say this if his command can be ironed out uh the stuff that we've seen from dan when he's on is just absolutely lights out uh, what is it that he has been told uh, specifically to improve upon obviously the command is is it but how about how does he get to that point so that he can come into camp and really be a guy who's in in the mix for a spot well, I think he does come in in the mix for a spot. And, you know, among Dan Altavilla and Tony Zick and Nick Rumbelow, James Pazos, two of those guys are going to make our club. And and that's the way we see it headed into the spring. And and Dan has as good a shot as any. He's, he's actually been quite a good performer in the big leagues, just a little bit up and down this past year. And finished very strong. The biggest thing for Dan is his command, like like you said. And you know, he has a tendency, he's a very hard worker and spends a ton of time in the gym and, and really has a, he, you want to talk about a guy who'd be lathered up with Crisco, <laughs> would be notable. Dan, Dan Altavilla is one of those guys. Uh, and he, and the sheen of his teeth would shine through the, the, the Crisco <laughs> with a big smile. But, 
leg, leg press. Who, who wins? Who wins the leg press? Uh, him or Nelson Cruz? Uh, I'm betting on Nelly. He's just a giant man. But the, <laughs> that is a. I'd love to see that that trio in a in a press off. And in Dan's case, would would like to see him come in a little bit more flexible and mm. uh, giving him a better chance to repeat his delivery and thus, in theory, improving his pitch command. Uh, what, when Dan is commanding the ball, he's about as good as anybody we have. It's overpowering stuff and, and has a chance to be very special when he is in the strike zone and locating. And, and he doesn't need to be perfect. The stuff is that good. So I, I think the future is bright for Dan, and, and hopefully we see him take a step forward this spring. So fair to say, as you've as you have uh, gone through the names of the guys who are for sure in the bullpen and those who are competing for a spot in the bullpen, that you feel good about the bullpen is complete at this point in terms of the cast of characters who will be either in or competing for uh, one of those it looks like eight bullpen spots come opening day. Yeah, and we do. In, in all likelihood, we will be carrying eight. It's a matter of of how frequently, if at all, we run more than a five-man rotation there may be a period of time during the course of the year where we carry a six-man rotation in order to to ease the innings load on the pitchers and and we do feel like some combination of the five starters we presently project in addition to whatever comes to pass with andrew moore with marco gonzalez with ariel miranda whatever contributions they make and multi-inning relievers like we just mentioned with nicasio and phelps and rumbolo and altavilla it's, it gives us the ultimate flexibility and what we're looking for in our pen or on our pitching staff and allows us to manage the innings. We're looking at innings as, as a total number. And how can, we, how can we start peeling off some of that total innings number uh, as the season goes along? And you might find 50 or 60 of them disappear in the form of a reliever and another 150 disappear with a starter. But we're not going to put the burden of 225 on a single pitcher. It, it's, that's not the way the game works anymore. Hmm. What's the hardest thing about going to a six-man rotation? Uh, probably just the, the fundamental readiness or, or preparedness for the starters who have always pitched on five-day rotations. And it's probably more impactful or or tougher adjustment for this, the veteran starters, guys like Felix or Mike Leak, who have done this their, their entire careers. For most of this season, we don't really have to worry about it because the off days in our schedule are such that, you know, particularly out of the shoot in April, we, we have we have roughly an off day a week, which allows us to, to ease the burden on the starting pitchers without carrying a six-man rotation. But there are other parts of the season that just aren't quite as, as easy on us. And we'd like to make sure we don't run into a, a similar issue as to last year when we had too many pitchers down at the same time. The easiest way to do that is allow for better rest and recovery. So it may require that we go to a, an extended rotation for a period of time. So this sounds like something that you clearly and uh, uh, Scott probably as well have have talked about already about the possibility of this for this coming season. Was there do you get the sense, Jerry, that uh, this is something that we might see around the game outside of just the Seattle Mariners? As they, as you mentioned, the game is maybe beginning to trend a little bit more this way. Yeah, I, I do think it's something that you'll see around baseball, and, and we're starting to see it already. It's as as inning totals start to regress among starting pitchers, there has to be a way. We, we still have to throw roughly fourteen hundred and fifty innings to get through a season. 
And if we're requiring or asking less of starting pitchers and in, in contributing those innings, we have to come up with the innings somewhere because the games aren't going to get shorter. So the only way we can do that right now, the, the adjustment we can make is bringing on multi-inning relievers or extending our rotation to include another pitcher which is for years what they've done in Japan for years. That's what they've done in college baseball. And, and we're probably looking at some morphed or hybrid form of that at the big league level now. And, and it includes far more teams than just the Mariners. You're, you're seeing it across the board. And I think that's the, the result of this year's free agent market. What we've seen to date with free agency is the, the impetus or the importance that's been placed on, on the quality setup types or the multi-inning relievers, guys like Juan Nicasio and Brian Shaw. And you could, you can, that's what has happened in free agency. There's been a premium placed on those pitchers. And as a result, the rest of the market was waiting for, for that group to move. When you look, Jerry, at the free agent starting pitching class this winter, do you just go back and look at the deal from Mike Leake and just thank goodness that that was able to go through? I mean, that was, you obviously were able to look a little bit into the future when you made that deal, but not only was that a great deal at the time, but it looks like even a better deal now with the, really, the lack of starting pitching that isn't astronomically priced this winter. Uh, it's, I mean, prices in free agency are what they are. And and one thing you know or learn in baseball is that prices generally don't come down. <laughs> uh, you know, the longer... <laughs> The longer we're at this, the more the more you're able to to discern or, or identify what the likely outcome is in free agency. And every year there is free agent class that has potential for impact at a variety of different positions. This year we determined, I guess, mid to late summer last year, that our best course of action, both in terms of being as competitive as we could in the late summer of 2017 and setting ourselves up for 2018 and potentially beyond was to be a little more aggressive in the acquisitions we were making at the tail end of last year. And, you know, start with Erasmo Ramirez at the trade deadline. You know, we traded out what would, I guess, equate to about two months of Steve Ciszek, who was a pending free agent, you know, to to effectively bring on Erasmo Ramirez. And the way I would term Erasmo's acquisition is it gave us, you know, really solid versatility on what was a, a flexible and affordable two-year deal because he is a, a two-time arbitration eligible right-hand pitcher. So uh, add Mike Leak on a three-year deal at what we were fortunate that the, the Cardinals were willing to work with us on it. And, and, you know, three and 38 is, is roughly the, the ballpark and at three and 38 in today's market, I think most people would line up to add Mike Leak and, Obviously, he was great for us in 17, but he's been a steady innings producer over the course of his career. And, you know, the two of those guys were, in some way, were part of the free agent shopping for 2018 to add to our staff. Well, Jerry, as we wrap up our final podcast of 2017, uh, might be worth looking back a little bit to the season that it was for the Mariners. There were uh, plenty of memorable moments uh, on the field for the Seattle Mariners. Is there a moment or two, Jerry, that when you look back at it, it really, really stands out to you from, from this past season? Yeah, I've been doing my best, Aaron, to try to cleanse myself of the memories of this past <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah, we, it was not a, a super enjoyable season for any of us. Uh, obviously, 
trying to combat all the injuries. It, it felt like we were working two seasons in one, trying to, to run the OT. And if I had to pick a favorite day of the year, I'll go back to, to March of this past year when we were in spring training and Team USA was playing Team Venezuela. And all of our players were, were lining up. They appeared to be healthy. We had uh, <laughs> Drew Smiley, V. Felix Hernandez and the WBC and, and everything looked rosy for the Mariners. And I really couldn't have been any more excited about what was coming for our season on, on that night. And, and shortly thereafter, things unraveled for us. And, you know, within a month we were, we were down four starting pitchers <laughs> and things became uh, much more difficult, but there were so many positives that came out of this season and just in how we came together as a team and watching our, our, our players bond the growth of young players really stood out to me. Uh, highlight for me was the day we were in Washington in the process of getting our butts kicked, but Mike Zanino came up and hit a home run and his return to the big leagues after a brief reset in Tacoma. That was exciting for me. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing the way Mitch Hanniger bounced back at the tail end of the season after two really rough injuries uh, following a positive start. Very excited about where his future goes. Uh, I loved waking up in July and seeing Ben Gamble's name at the top of the American League batting race. That that was really fun to watch, and hopefully we can sustain that a little more this year. And, and frankly, one of the things that stands out in 2017 for me was my daughter got married. So, you know, August, this past August, I, I took a, a brief hiatus and, and went to watch my daughter get married, which was a lot of fun. Oh, well, nothing's going to top that. That's fantastic. Uh, I wanted to go back to a quick comment that you said at the start of this when you said that it felt like you were you were playing two seasons in one. What do you, what exactly did you mean by that, Jerry? Well, you know, if, if a day is 24 hours, our days felt like 48 because we had the 24-hour day with the game in there, and then we had the next day that was trying to recover from the injuries we sustained the day before. <laughs> so it, it felt like we were living in some, you know, duplicative universe where we were having to, to – repeat the day over and over and the number of transactions and roster moves, you know, if, if as a fan or a listener, you think you're fatigued by the number of transactions, <laughs> you, by God, try to do it. <laughs> it is a, it was really, it was really just a frustrating season and, and hopefully we can, we can enjoy something of a little bit more normalcy in 2018, because I, I do feel like we have a ton of talent. And, and if we see that the pitching staff come together, like we hope it can, this team has a chance to do some damage. Well, we'll move on to some uh, questions from the fans. And remember, you can we have an email address now, thewheelhouse at mariners.com. And uh, Dave from Port Angeles uh, was curious, Jerry. Uh, he has a very... Astutely observed that over the last uh, handful of years, uh, the Mariners have traded away a lot of prospects for major leaguers, 40-man depth. And he was curious exactly uh, what that was a result of, filling holes on the 25-man, different perspective on prospects inherited from the previous uh, management. What exactly was it that uh, resulted in so many trades to get other major leaguers from the farm system? I think just what you hit on was the it was getting other major leaguers. And, you know, one of the things that we've done over the course of the last two plus seasons is we've added a, we created not just a, a more balanced and robust 40 man roster to, in order to compete at the big league level and, and to cover ourselves in, in instances when you have you know normal rates of injury and and on time or, or struggle. We have had options at a variety of positions that we can go two or three deep where before we couldn't do that. And, and I think that's important when you're going to, to 
field a competitive club. This this movement, this roster movement, wasn't about uh, building a a group around Cano, Cruz, and Felix and making a run for the hills. It was about building something that had a chance to to support that group while sustaining our window of competitiveness into the future. Uh, I I would posit I love prospects, uh, young players, controllable players with potential for impact uh, are how organizations are built. Uh, and unfortunately, I think sometimes it's it, it can get confused as to what is future impact and what is a future prospect. So you know we we have we have been diligent and sorting through and vetting the the targets uh, that we've acquired. We understand that we're giving up something to make that happen. And effectively, what we were attempting to do and what I think we've been able to accomplish is to build more depth and and quality around our major league group. Uh, I guess, build up the upper levels while we certainly depleted the mid levels of the system. But now we've bought ourselves what I think is something between three and five years with some of the additions we've made at the big league level to now regrow the seed at the minor league levels. So if if one or two of the players that we traded along become stars, then clearly it was not intended to, to work out that way. And, and I'll regret that deal. But for the most part, we understand we're going to make mistakes, but we also came in with a plan that I believe allows us to be as competitive as we can be while we have an additional plan for how we're going to regenerate our system. And uh, I still feel like there's a lot of quality there with guys like Kyle Lewis and and Sam Carlson and Evan White and Julio Rodriguez, among others. And there's we're certainly not short on controllable mid to late 20-somethings at the big league level. Now we have time to add via draft and international sign and grow the seed again and, and hopefully stop the, the, the tidal wave of transactions that we put in play to try to create this roster advantage. Well, uh, Patrick, this, how about this? We've got a, a listener from Washington, D.C., and uh, Patrick from D.C. has an even more difficult question, Jerry. He wants to know if you could provide some details on uh, what is your top homemade pizza recipe. Oh man, where, where do you want to go? You yeah. want to go sweet or savory? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say my favorite, my favorite, personally, my favorite would be like a sausage with caramelized onion and, and goat cheese, uh, if with a with a little bit of olive oil drizzle and some crushed black pepper on top. Keep it simple; it's delicious. And then on the on the sweet side, I, I have started to to mess around with dessert pizzas, which Whoa. is uh, just like it sounds, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so like a banana, if we do like a sliced banana with, with a chocolate, a chocolate sauce and some, some sliced fig, it is some kind of awesome. And, uh, if you get a chance, I highly recommend it. If you're into a sweet pizza, which how could you possibly not be into a sweet pizza? So this, this is like a, uh, this is like a crepe on a pizza. It sounds like it is, it's a, it is, it is in fact, it's almost a, a naked crepe it's a it is delicious you want to you don't want to get too too crispy with the crust but it is you just you roughly put it in for long enough to caramelize the fruit pull it out and it is it is gooey gooey goodness now so i mean when you when you are making a pizza are you automatically making a dessert pizza to go along with it i mean are we pairing these two things at the depoto household no, usually, usually I pair the the savory pizza and my big belly. <laughs> the, uh, the 
the dessert pizza is saved for special occasions when we're usually it's it's more of a weekend when we're eating a little bit earlier and I don't mind taking on the extra calories because uh as as I as I near 50 I'm trying to reduce the the caloric intake as much as possible stave off the stave off time as best I can that's impressive man the dessert pizza I did, I did not see that wrinkle coming that is very impressive Gary uh, hey, so to wrap this up a little bit, uh, as Christmas is quickly approaching, you know, I was, uh, I have a, our son just turned three, Jerry, and he's a big Mariners fan. In fact, we were just at the Mariners team store picking some stuff up. And uh, he, first of all, he, Kyle Seeger is his favorite player. And so we got him uh, a Kyle Seeger baseball card along with the team pack of the Mariners. And that reminded me of something that I heard about you, Jerry, and I'm, I want you here on the record uh, on your platform to, to either confirm or debunk this. But I, I was told, Jerry, that you put the down payment of your first ever house by selling your baseball card collection. Can, can you confirm or deny this? I can deny that. Really? Uh, I, okay. Because I can tell you that, my, yeah, my baseball, my, my down payment on my first house came from some combination of the the major league salaries that I had generated over my first couple of years when when we were making significantly less than maybe the the younger players do today so uh, i I bought my first house after my third year in the big leagues and and I had my my baseball card collection well into my life far beyond that as a matter of fact uh, and this is this is real time information. We have we have moved quite a lot in my baseball career. Whether it was I was traded twice as a player, I've worked for a number of different organizations as a scout, executive, etc. And when we were moving from uh, from Kansas City to Colorado to Arizona to etc., uh, moving from house to house, my my baseball memorabilia collection uh, actually was was a had a life of its own and it was growing at crazy rates. And when I peeled down the collection, it was simply because we couldn't continue to build bigger houses. To, to, <laughs> to house it. <laughs> so uh, we, we had, we had uh, two houses where we actually had to build and design uh, lower levels to house the collection because it was something in the, in the neighborhood of national treasure where we needed lighted torches downstairs to, to, to lead the way it was it was massive <laughs> and needed to be downsized because I somehow I lost my three children in the in the collection <laughs> now was there is there something that stands out to you that maybe meant something to you but your wife saw it of something that you'd collected and she just said Jerry come on Jerry you don't need that we you can get rid of that is there something that stands out no, actually, she through all the years, and I, I, I literally for years and years, I was I was well into my late thirties, forty years old when, uh, when we decided that we would downsize our collection. Uh, she was very supportive of it. As a matter of fact, when I, I met my wife on a blind date set up uh, by her aunt, who I met buying a a, a painting of the nineteen eighty five Kansas City Royals. What? <laughs> so it's a, yeah, yeah, true story. True story. It's uh, baseball is uh, is is near and dear, and my wife has been hugely supportive. And and we had a we had our house being overwhelmed by memorabilia gushing out the windows. And uh, I, I will say she probably wasn't super disappointed when I when I downsized the collection. But from baseball cards to autographs to equipment and sign balls, you name it, and uh, it was almost like a, a mini museum. In fact, we had. 
through the course of my playing career, uh, particularly the years that I played in Colorado, we had we had an open door for players in the league who would like to come over and and just see the collection. And it was not an uncommon thing to have each homestand would have six or eight guys from other teams or coaches who were told by our coaches that they needed to see this and and it did come over to the house and uh, Don Baylor, who you know the, Don, the late Don Baylor, loved him, uh, was a, my manager in Colorado and. And uh, he had mentioned to a number of his friends in the league, you got to see this. Uh, and he joked around with me one day, there's, there's no room left. You're going to have to start getting guys to sign the walls. So we, we actually had a couple of doors or in, the, in the basement area, a couple of doorways that led to utility rooms. And, and we had, you know, players, current and former, sign the doors with messages. And, and they would leave some comical messages, some really great stuff. And it was not uncommon to have a half a dozen, you know, former or current players sitting downstairs in in, in a given afternoon, just looking through the memorabilia in the basement. And part of our agreement was that if you came to look, you had to leave something. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it did come over and bring, you know, a pair of spikes or a glove, uh, you know, a bat, something unique from their career to leave. And it, and as a result, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. It was, it was, it was pretty fun. This is incredible. So did you do you did you take the doors with you? Uh we took the doors with us for the next two houses before we finally moved into a house that we that the doors didn't fit. <laughs> so you know, there was uh there, but there were some there were some great quotes in there. You know, at one point I, I think the our photograph ball in hundred signed baseballs and and uh, they were all over the rooms. And, and I can remember one player, I, I won't quote him because I, I, I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, one player wrote that, you know, really appreciate your inviting me. You got a lot of balls. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, quick little quirky things like that. And, you know, we had Hall of Famers, former Negro League greats. Uh, you know, we, we, we actually filmed a conversation that the late, great Buck O'Neill uh, came to Denver one year for uh, – for a Negro league celebration and, and came over the house to, to see the collection and then proceeded to sit in the basement with three former Negro league all-stars and tell three hours worth of stories to everybody that was there about the barnstorming tours that they played in the 1930s and forties. And it was just priceless stuff. I, 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 to this day, I think it's, it's one of the neatest experiences I had in baseball it was just being able to sit in my house with these former great players telling stories about you know baseball before I was born and doing it in such a, a really energized and, and powerful way it was it was a blast I really I, I wish you were there Aaron. I wish you were there well that's incredible and I Jerry I mean this in a very complimentary way because um, I don't think there's another general manager in the game who has gone to such lengths are I mean you're obsessed aren't you Jerry I mean you, I mean I mean this again I mean this is a compliment you are obsessed with baseball because there's nobody else who takes their job home with them like this and who at least from what i can tell obviously loves it to such passion i I love it i loved it all my life i was you know a a huge fan who turned into a player uh i remember going to school as a kid and and you know and those like every other student has ever been asked you know what you're going to be when you grow up i was going to be a baseball player like you know 99 percent of the, the boys in my generation and I remember the the teacher saying to me by the time I got to high school, you, you need to have a more realistic goal. And and my thought at the time was it, it 
that's, that's the only realism I can come up with because if I'm not able to achieve this, I'm probably not going to be as happy as I was planning to be. <laughs> so I, I love the game. I love the history of the game. I love the nuances. I love the people that I've met in it. Uh, really care uh, day in and day out. It's been uh, the only thing in my life outside of, of my family that I can recall. It, baseball never hates you. Sometimes it's unfair, but it, it never hates you. And, you know, I felt like there were times this past year where it was a challenge, but somewhere that's going to be, it, it, it will turn around because it's a game of averages and, and you know, it, the sun will shine on us, I'm, I'm guessing, somewhere along the way. Well, I think at some point we're going to have to do a uh, follow-up episode on the DePoto Gallery. I assume that, by the way, you still have that painting of the Royals that led you to your wife. I assume that didn't get uh, given away. Am I right? No, no, no. Now there's a, there's a fair amount of what we have that 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 we've kept. There's you know it's not as nearly as vast, nor does it require its own housing. <laughs> but uh, you know my son gets some. I kept a lot of what was most important to me. Uh, I kept almost all of what people gave to me, and uh, you know the rest we actually sold off to a, a private collector who was who was opening a museum because I wanted to make sure that it was it was well represented. It was it was really awesome stuff and. And uh, it, it, it got to the point, frankly, where it consumes so many hours of your day just trying to maintain it that, that we, I needed to downsize just for my own sanity. <laughs> but really? Now, what do you mean by that? What was there to maintain? Now, cleaning it for one. It's, uh, you know, in order to, to maintain the, the quality of what you have down there, it was, you know, cleaning it, wiping off, wiping off, you know, the ball cubes and picture frames and bats and uh, we had all kinds of, we had a bat rack that, that ran the perimeter of a room that probably at one point housed about 500 bats. Oh my gosh. Uh, so it, it not, I mean, it, it takes a long time to clean 500 bats you know, <laughs> just to, to make sure that the dust, <laughs> the dust doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, it was great when I had three, three young children who were all game for, for grabbing a, a feather duster and rolling around and then making sure everything was clean. But you know, when you've got to do that once or once or twice in a week, and 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 it it starts to add up pretty quickly. So, uh, we we did the right thing by by downsizing, and uh, I'll never forget some of the experiences that that collection of memorabilia afforded me. Uh, not the least of which is is you know by sight, I can identify just about any player in in history because of looking at their pictures and the baseball cards through all my life, and it burned on my brain but just the people that I got to meet. And, you know, when you get to see your heroes and they're standing in your house, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and I'll never forget the, the, that a lot of that was afforded because it, not because they were particularly interested in, in coming over for one of DePoto's burgers. <laughs> they, they, they wanted to see some of the stuff we gathered in the basement. Well, the, the worst thing about this or the only bad thing about this is that uh, I, the one thing that I collect is uh, hall of fame baseball. So HOF signatures, and I'm I'm in my home office right now, and, and I, I've always thought I've had a, a a decent collection. I mean, by like mortal standards, and I have like 20 signed baseballs, which for you is, I mean, that's like a day's worth. So uh, I've this this has helped to put my own collection in, in better perspective, Jerry. So thank you for uh, letting all of the rest of us know how insufficient our collections are, because this is I got a long ways to go, man. I don't think I'm even going to scratch the surface of it. What you've got sounds like it's worthy of its own podcast. That unfortunately, again, much of it is, is has gone the wayside. But for a period of time, yeah. I, I would say close to two decades, I was, I, I my goal was to to 
uh, I guess, acquire a signature and autograph from every player that ever played. What? Uh, and yeah, it was, that was the goal. And you get, you're nothing if you don't have big goals. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we actually had, we, we actually had a small room that was a library. None of this, you know, this doesn't exist in one place anymore, but we had a room that was a small library that, uh, that had, you know, effectively had binders with, that were alphabetized and they ran the, the through bookshelves and, uh, much like you would see in a, in a really small little library, but, uh, we had literally thousands of, of signatures ranging from contracts to signed photos to signed baseball cards and, and just, you know, plowed in the binders. Some of the great names in, in baseball history, you know, guys like Pickles Dillhofer. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, who, yeah, you, you just, you, 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 you get the, you get the signature, you check off the list and you, and then you go back and you read about the player's career and, you know, and in, in Pickles case is unfortunate early demise. And, and you, you, it, you're, I think you're richer for having gone through it. You know more about the game and you know more about the kind of Americana in those, in those years or decades. Uh, Evra Noodles Han autograph, one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> yeah, the Noodles. I, I will say that if you recall, uh, and I don't know if we're going too long here, but I don't particularly care. Uh, the the former manager of the Cleveland Indians in the 1970s, a guy by the name of Dave Garcia, who is uh, really just baseball gold, tr- tremendous guy, a baseball lifer. Uh, I was with Dave Garcia in, in my final year in Colorado. He was he was an assistant to Buddy Bell and was frequently in Denver, but didn't travel with the major league club. And that year I spent a fair amount of time on the disabled list. And I had to go down to Coors Field to, to rehab a neck injury. And uh, on my way out of rehab, I would stop off at the hotel where Dave would stay and pick him up and drive him back out to my house. He would come over to the house, you know, say hello to, to my wife and kids, and then just walk down the stairs. We have a big baseball glove chair uh, called the Joe D chair, and he would go sit in the baseball glove. And my my daughter, who was just married this past August, would would go retrieve a single album from the from the autograph library, and bring it to Dave. He'd sit there with it on his on his lap. And you could go down later in the afternoon. It'd be there for three hours, just looking through all these different people who he didn't have to read about. He knew them, and it was it was so cool to listen to him to just start a story uh, about a, a player, you know, Sloppy Thurston, and and tell you about Sloppy Thurston and and the, the his interactions with Sloppy. It was it, it was sometimes funny, sometimes sad, but it was just awesome to to be a part of. Well, these are, this has provided you with some absolutely incredible stories, and we're fortunate enough that you share them with us here. And, uh, you know, Jerry, this has been a lot of fun, as always. Uh, you are very kind to do this on your personal vacation. Please, uh, from all of us, thank your wife as well. Uh, and a, a reminder to everyone listening, uh, if you're looking for that last-minute gift, single-game tickets, of course, on sale now. Opening night, other big games, you can find tickets, Mariners.com, or any Mariners team store. Uh, and it's a little bit of a bummer this year, Jerry. No fan fest this season, a one-year hiatus. Uh, we have explored every possible alternative. Uh, there was not a good one. The new field has been put down, as you are well aware, Jerry. And uh, you know what? Foot traffic, not a good thing for new fields. So no fan fest this year. We'll have to wait till next year. But at least we have the podcast to fill in the void. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for doing this. The final podcast of the year. The players will be very happy that we're podcasting. 
<laughs> I'm sure they'll be warmer. That's for sure. They'll definitely be warmer. Uh, Jerry, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year to you, man. And we will uh, talk to you again in 2018. All right, Aaron. Look forward to it.